While working on Anatomy of Next, we got the chance to interview a lot of really interesting people. Now the story we're telling this season is pretty tight, so we've had to leave a lot out. But there's all sorts of valuable stuff in the periphery of this narrative, and I want to take a little time to look at that. Some of these interviews are a little more philosophical, some just pretty far out there, technological, but all of them are totally fascinating, and while we work on the next few chapters of our season, we want to share some of these interviews with you. These are going to be lightly or unedited conversations with brilliant, important people speaking on topics related to whole new paradigms, new systems, new things. Let's talk about new ways of thinking about the world. Some of this stuff might be a little uncomfortable, uh, might be a little controversial. That's the nature of new stuff. Today's episode, we've spent a lot of time talking about colonizing and terraforming Mars. But what if we get there on this mission to bring life to a dead world and find out there's already something living there? Well, my name is Chris McKay. I'm at NASA Ames Research Center here in Silicon Valley. And for the longest time, I've been interested in the questions about life on Mars. And I say questions because there's one, the question about life in the past. Did Mars have life? How does it relate to life on Earth? And the future, could Mars have life in the future? And, and I see those questions as related. That's right. We're talking aliens. And they might just be bacteria or something, but they'd still be Martians, right? Now, last week, we talked to Chris McKay about building a much thicker atmosphere on Mars, something capable of sustaining Earth-like life. We eventually worked our way through the science and on towards implementation of that science. So how might we go about actually doing this, you know, physically or mechanically? And Chris mentioned robots, either operating autonomously or being directed remotely. He does not see us sending astronauts all the way to Mars only to work on the brunt of this stuff, the terraforming stuff. And why? Robotics and automation are advancing so fast that I hesitate to even require that humans be involved in making it. If I was guessing at how it would be done, I would guess it would be done robotically with artificial intelligence systems. Why waste a human being's time doing the grunge of digging up dirt and turning it into greenhouse gases when you got robots to do it, and the humans can do much more interesting things like uh, go search for evidence of past life. This led us into our conversation on the ethics of terraforming. Well, now let's uh, move into the ethics question. I'm finding more and more there's significant pushback to the question of whether we should go to Mars at all. Uh, on the one hand, you have folks saying, why go to Mars before we fixed all the problems on Earth? And then on the other, there are people who say, we actually shouldn't go to Mars ever. And it comes from a kind of, a lot of the times I feel a sort of anti-human place where they say, you know, humans are this kind of virus, is, is the more extreme version of the argument. But even just regular folks are like, if we go to Mars, we could contaminate that world, which would, in a way, uh, really affect any life that might exist there, especially if we went and did something as dramatic as terraformed the planet. It's a pretty extreme, I would say, moral quandary. And I'm wondering just how you think about it and how you balance that with, you know, this just seeming need to explore. Well, I think these are very important points. And one of my, the points I make when I talk to people is the, the feasibility of terraforming Mars, the fact that we can do it with technology that we're already employing on Earth, suggests that it's important to talk about these ethical questions. This isn't some distant, uh, hypothetical thousands of years from now, we might do this or that. This is something that we might start now and could be done in, in 100 years. So the ethical the can we do it question is being answered in probably yes. So it really is time to open up the should we do it question. And so my approach to that is to think about the bigger question. What are we really doing when we leave Earth? What's, what's the big goal? What's our, what's our quest? Why are we leaving the Earth? And what's the big picture answer? And, and my personal answer to that is to enhance the richness and diversity of life in the universe, including the Earth. 
That's our goal. That's, that's a goal worth human and endeavor, worth human focus, and worth human energies. Enhance the richness and diversity of life in the universe. And I, I focus on life because when we look around the universe, we see a lot of amazing things, the rings of Saturn and supernovas and collapsing black holes, wonderful stuff. But the phenomenon of life, to me, is the phenomenon that is the most uh, symbolic of value. It, it's, it's, the, it's the coolest. It's the neatest. We take advantage of it because it's all over us, and we eat it for breakfast and lunch, and we kick it out the door. But when we look beyond Earth, we realize how precious that is, how precious and interesting and valuable life is. So our biggest goal should be enhance the richness and diversity of life. Obviously, that immediately implies that we need to take care of life and Earth and diversity and richness of life on Earth. goes without further detailed discussion. But now applying that principle to Mars, why are we going to Mars? We're going to Mars to enhance the richness and diversity of life in the universe. Well, how, do, how would we do that? Well, I think first we search for evidence that Mars had life in the past. If it does, then I see it as a couple possibilities. One, that life is related to Earth life because of exchange of meteorites between the two planets. They are just our cousins distant cousins, but cousins. Well, I see very little ethical issues there. We move in. We say, how are you guys doing? What's wrong with your planet? Why isn't it green and blue like ours? And we figure out how to help them, and we move in because we're cousins. The second possibility, which is much more interesting, is we go to Mars and we find life, and it is separate life. It is a second genesis. It is alien in the deepest sense of that word. What do we do then? There seems to be uh, three approaches I've heard when I talk to people. One approach is, well, put it in a jar, bring it back in the lab like we would the smallpox virus, and then clear the ground and move in. The second approach is, well, quarantine it. Don't do anything. Just don't go there. Don't, don't even think about it. Mars becomes off limit. Uh, this is the ignore it approach. So the first approach is kill it or, or bottle it. The second approach is ignore it. I think both of those are mistaken. I think the approach that we ought to take is help it. Sort of the, we're from the government, we're here to help. <laughs> but seriously, we help it, but first we have to understand what does it need? What does it mean to help? When we go to, when we go to find life on another planet, say Mars, uh, it, what it likes may not be what we like. Uh, it's clearly not doing well now because the planet is not covered with life the way Earth is. A planet is doing well when, it, when life on that planet covers it. So we, we basically ask the question, what do we need to do to Mars to allow this life that's already there to cover this planet, to enhance its richness and diversity? And again, the goal, the, the highest goal I was saying for what we do in space is enhance the richness and diversity of life in the universe. So going to Mars and finding life there that's not doing well I think we should not bottle it. We should not ignore it. We should strive to enhance its richness and diversity. And I realize that that's going to involve a lot of study and a lot of learning before we do the very first step at all. But my guess is almost certainly the first request that that life will have is more water, more atmosphere, uh, bring it on. So in the broadest brush, I think it's going to want the things that life on Earth wants, atmosphere, carbon, carbon dioxide. But it seems like really just the first step then is is we have to just get there and we have to explore. We have to we have to find out what it is that we're working with, if anything at all. Exactly, exactly. And a key point is that exploration must be done in a way that's biologically reversible. Suppose my best case scenario, 
We go to Mars with robots. We go to Mars with humans. We search and search for life. We find life. Hooray. And we find that it represents a second genesis of life. Oh, that is just so interesting scientifically. The first thing we do then is undo all the contamination we've put on Mars. Undo all the contamination in our rovers, which is a lot, on the human base. We pull back all Earthlings from Mars. This can only be done if we continue our exploration in a way that's biologically reversible uh, so that we can reverse it. We don't end up like rabbits in Australia. Once you let two of them go, you're never going to get rid of it. Uh, fortunately, Mars is not very hospitable for Earth life, so it's not rabbits in Australia. It's more like rabbits in Antarctica. If you release two rabbits in Antarctica and you decided you wanted to bring them back, you'd just go out and there they'd be two dead rabbits not far from where you left them. <laughs> Mars is more like that Antarctica story. So we could, everything we've done on Mars so far in terms of contamination, we could undo pretty straightforwardly. And I mentioned so far because our robots already are contaminated Mars. We, we, do, we do not sterilize our spacecraft. It's a common misconception, but we don't. We clean them, but they're not sterile. But they haven't irreversibly contaminated Mars. We could go back to each of these spacecraft and retrieve them and bring them back and undo our contamination. So we want to keep open the option to reverse all contamination and thereby enable the possibility that we can alter Mars to enhance the richness of diversity of that second genesis. Now, of course, if we search and search and find nothing, Mars never had life or it's long since dead, well, then I would say we move in uh, because our spreading of life from Earth contributes to enhancing the richness and diversity of life. So uh, to summarize, if Mars has its own life, we help that life. We enhance it and expand its richness and diversity. If Mars does not have life, then we spread life from Earth. We give it the gift of life that Earth, apparently then, unique in our solar system has. So either way, the focus is on life and enhancing its richness and diversity. I'm wondering, though, uh, I'm wondering if we're maybe jumping the gun just a little bit. There's this question, I know that you've heard of it, right? Fermi's paradox, if alien life could exist in the universe, if, if alien life kind of emerges naturally, if there is a second genesis, especially if there were to be a second genesis on a planet so close as Earth, then life should be ubiquitous. We should see signs of it everywhere, but we don't. Right. And there isn't any evidence for life on Mars that we can see here. Right. There hasn't been evidence forever. Um, what do you think the odds are that there is life? And why are people, I mean, it seems like maybe people are, are becoming increasingly animated about this question. And I, I don't really understand why. I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting point. And deep in the dark of night, when I look at the stars, I think the same thing. Where is everybody? You know, the Fermi paradox. And, and then I look around and I say, you know, we might be it. And we might be all there is to it. And then we go back to what's our big goal. Our big goal is enhance the richness and diversity of life in the universe. If the only life in the universe is us here, Earth, then that puts a big responsibility on us to spread it out, to take that life to Mars, to elsewhere, to other stars, to other galaxies. We are the spark which has to light the fire of life throughout the universe. Uh, that's one possibility. And Mars will be our first test of that. Is it a universe hostile with, to life and we are the only little spark? Or is there a second genesis on Mars and life is all over the place and we got to figure out how we fit in? And the question of the Fermi paradox, which of course focuses on intelligent life, then gets moved into a different category. Why isn't intelligent life here given that life appears to be common everywhere? 
Mars becomes central to the next step in our understanding of all these questions. That's why I'm excited to go to Mars and search for life. I do have a bias in hoping that the answer is yes, there is life there, and I have a bias in hoping that that answer is a second genesis. But when I put on my scientist hat, I realize that the answer could be no, the answer could be none of the above. We have to go and look, and the only way we get answers is by going and looking. Armchair philosophy has not revealed the nature of the universe. Going out and searching does. Well, it, it, it not just could be. It seems, am I wrong in thinking that it's probably the answer? That it's probably, there's probably not a second genesis on Mars? Well, probably could be. I don't know. I, from a science point of view, I could say we can't rule it out, but we have no evidence for it. When, when you ask me what I would like to believe, I would like to believe there's a second genesis there. That would be just so cool. Wouldn't that, that would make my day. I would die a happy man <laughs> if there was a second genesis of life on Mars. But I realize that you know, nature is not conforming to my desires. What's happened on Mars is there and it's in the record. And it's our job to go search for it and report it factually and say, here's what we found. Uh, what is this telling us? How do we inform our choices as a species based on what we found? And that's the way science works, evidence-based. Go look, what do we find? How do we inform our choices based on what we find? Now, it does help to think in advance what the options could be, what the possibilities can be, so you're not flat-footed when you find, oh, a second genesis, what are we going to do now? So it's useful to think a little bit in advance of what you do. Otherwise, we're going to be in the position of a dog chasing a car. What are we going to do when we catch the car? The dog's got no idea at all, does he? Um, you've kind of illustrated or you've painted a picture of humanity as these kinds of, I guess, protectors of life. Is that, is that how you would characterize our, our purpose in the universe? I would. I'd say there's nothing else worth doing. If we think about, you know, in the broadest sense of expanding into space, what is human, humanity as a civilization and life from Earth as a collective? What can we do? And I think the answer focuses on life and expanding the richest diversity of life. I think it's, it'd be much better to say we went, we, we explored the planet next door, we met the neighbors and we helped them out, rather than we explored the planet next door and we killed them. Which looks better on our resume? I'll take the former. Thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Good, Michael. Good luck pulling it together. You are listening to Anatomy of Next. New World.